um, and they got married April 18th, 2015. She's an administrative assistant of outreach at Traders Point uh, there in Indianapolis. Loves her job, and I'm really proud of them. They're going to be going down to the inner city, uh, downtown, I shouldn't say inner city, but downtown in Indy, and they're working with the church plant there out of Traders Point. It's great. Caleb, uh, if you remember Caleb, uh, Millsound went to University of Southern Indiana. He's back in Bloomington. He's working at a, a new restaurant in town called The Wagon Wheel, and he also writes with, uh, for Warner Brothers on up-and-coming artists and all that kind of stuff. He loves to write. Danielle is a senior at Moody Bible Institute, and she is training to be a family counselor, so we're excited about that. And my wife, Marie, as uh, you know her very well, I don't know if you saw this movie out. It's called Adeline. You guys seen that flick? Uh, it's a pretty boring movie. But anyway, um, the movie is about a, a woman who never ages, and that's Marie, like she never ages. And so anytime we're introduced, I always hear the very same thing. Marie, you haven't changed at all. And then they look at me and they go, Marie, you haven't changed at all. It just drives me nuts. And we're coming up in two weeks, we would be married 32 years. Yeah, let's give it up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is pretty exciting, though. The other day, she uh, gave me a huge hug, and she goes, I just got to tell you, you are still, after all these years, you are still a stud muffin. She did. Yeah. 20% stud, 80% muffin. Now, I, I don't know what that's all about, but it's not right at all. If you've got your scriptures, I'd like you to turn over to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14, and uh, uh, we're going to get rolling here in just a second. I've got to tell you, it's, um, it's been like a flood of memories coming back into town. And a lot of times in small towns, there's a lot of things that don't change. And, but I'd say there's a lot of things that change, and what changes is just people. And I just thought about just seriously all the weddings and funerals and all the connections I've had with so many of the families here. And uh, so there's excitement. Uh, there's, trust me, anxious. I was scared to death first service because I'm like, I, I know I'm going to start forgetting names. And, and so I just, that. But there's also just a touch of sadness. Uh, because I was, over the weekend, I started thinking about Marvin Flowers. And I started thinking about what he taught me and how he loved people. And, and uh, have you ever tried to describe Marvin Flowers to anybody? I'd always say he's like Brutus on Popeye. I said, picture Brutus. With the biggest heart, JT talked about kindness. And, and so I have so many just, again, unforgettable times here. And so I want to thank all of you. Uh, and some of you that don't know me, uh, you're blessed. I appreciate the fact that you, you showed up today. So let's pray. We're going to roll. Heavenly Father, it is amazing to see what you've done here in Mount Pulaski. Lord, I thank you for their faithfulness. Over 100 years, Lord, they've done everything they can to reach out into the community and then everything to bring about transformation. So, Lord, we pray from this point forward that you'll continue to work. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent us your son. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Years ago, I remember we went out with the kids uh, to Mount Rushmore. How many of you ever made that trip with your kids out to Mount Rushmore? How many ever going to do that again? Okay, good. But I, I loved, uh, I remember going through Wall Drug, getting to Rushmore, and then when we got to Rushmore... A uh, little trivia question. He's got four great presidents. Only one of them wears glasses. Anybody know who that is? Teddy Roosevelt. Good. Nobody knew that. Good job. Here's what I love is I've been uh, a huge fan of Teddy Roosevelt, and I just love him. They call him the president first, and here's why. He's the first president to ever make a public appearance in a car. He's the first president to ever ride in a submarine. First president to win a Nobel Peace Prize. He's the first president 
to designate not hundreds, but thousands and thousands of acres that would be preserved for our national parks. It's that guy. He's the only president who actually installed a boxing ring in the White House. He did. And this true story, just short of his 50th birthday, he was sparring with one of the security guards, and the guy caught him with an upper right and detached his retina, and he was actually blind in that eye for the rest of his life. That's Teddy Roosevelt. Now, how many of you think they should still put uh, a boxing ring in the White House? Anybody? Yeah. Now, here's something about Roosevelt that I love, and that is when he passed away. Now, listen to these words. I love this. On January 6, 1919, he died in his home in his sleep. Vice President at the time, Thomas Marshall, said this, Death had to take him in his sleep, for had he been awake, there would have been a fight. I want to be like Teddy Roosevelt. I hope you want to be like Teddy Roosevelt. And when I look through scriptures, I'll tell you who has the spirit of Teddy Roosevelt. It's Joshua. JT did an amazing job talking about Ruth, so we're going to kind of go back a little bit. I want you to look at Joshua this morning. Three times, if you can imagine this, he stood in front of the entire nation of Israel. Three times. And what he teaches us each time is stuff we can take from here and insert into our lives because he stood up when everybody else was sitting down and he stood up for God and we need to do the same. So if you got your scriptures, turn with me to Numbers chapter 14 and let's start with verse 1. That night all of the members of the community, they raised their voices, they wept aloud and all of the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Now, you need to go back just a little bit to see why this is so important. Way back as they were coming out, the Israelites and theologians and historians estimate somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million people came out of Egypt. God had this conversation with Moses. Now, this is a very loose translation. Okay, This is my translation. It's like, Moses, here's the deal. Good news, bad news. Good news. These folks have been griping for years about freedom. I'm getting ready to free every one of them. Going to cross the Red Sea? Great. Charlton Heston's going to be good in the movie. Trust me. You're going to love this, okay? That's what's going to happen first. The promised land that they've been begging for, man, it's really not that far away. Matter of fact, you could get there Are you ready for this? In less than three weeks. But they're not ready. They're not ready to get there yet. So we're going to take a little bit of a detour. They're going to learn to trust me day in and day out. But when it's time to go into the land, take the land. Okay? So fast forward about a year and a half later, and guess what happens? He sends in how many spies? Everybody's been in children's church. Twelve in with the spy on team. What? Ten were bad in. Good. I'm glad none of you went to children's church. So anyway, they... They go in, and ten spies come back, and remember what was their job? Gather information for inspiration. That's it. Gather information for inspiration. They thought they were a decision-making body, and they weren't. There was only two spies that understood the mission, Joshua and Caleb. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God already promised us the land. There's no, there is no debating. There's no debating. Take the land. And he stood up against the odds. And some of you this morning, that's exactly where you're at in your life. 
You're pleading with God. God, I feel like the odds are overwhelming against me. You're not alone. And Joshua spoke to this nation screaming, and what were they grumbling about? Can you imagine this? They're saying, remember the good old days back when we were in bondage and beaten and slaves? Good times. Isn't that ridiculous? But aren't we all guilty sometimes of clinging to the good old days? You ever do that as parents? My kids used to get so sick of me, especially when they were younger, especially in Pulaski, because I'd always do the same thing during the summer. Why are you sitting inside watching TV? What's up with you? You know what? I didn't do that when I was a kid. Man, as soon as the sun came up at 8, I'd go play all day long. I'd help little old ladies across the street. I, you know, I was, I was a great kid. And by the time I would get home at night, I would collapse in bed. I'd been gone all I, I did not stay inside. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. Now, here's the truth. Do you know why I didn't stay inside? Some of you the same way. We didn't have air conditioning. Why would you stay inside? You know where I went? To the kid's house that had air conditioning. Sure. <laughs> and wouldn't you all agree... You don't have to say amen, but wouldn't you all agree, the good old days aren't all good. Can I have an amen? Yeah, they really are not all that great. And we reminisce sometimes, like, oh, wasn't that great? How many of you remember growing up without air conditioning? Raise your hand. How many of you remember church without air conditioning? Remember they used to have those little funeral fans? Guess what? Those were not good old days. And imagine an entire nation coming down saying, We can't believe God has led us here. Why would God lead us here to the promised land? George Mueller, one of my spiritual heroes, missionary in England, started all kinds of orphanages with no money, just a prayer warrior. He said this, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which the human is possible. Faith begins where man's power is ends. Years ago, I heard a guy and he said, here's what faith is. If you can explain it, God wasn't in it. And it's true. I want you to look at this facility, and I'm telling you, it, it just almost brings tear to my eyes. Seriously, think of all the people you're reaching in this community. And you know, to take on any huge endeavor, you have to go from fear to faith. Every time. You have to go from fear to faith. And that's when God does amazing things, even things that are overwhelmingly against the odds. And then there's a second time, turn over with me to Joshua chapter 1, that he stands up in front of the entire nation. Verses 6 through 9, and let me start with verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all that the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from the right or to the left, that you may be, what? Successful wherever you go. Now let's read verse 9 together, if you've got your scriptures. Joshua 1, verse 9. Okay, ready? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. An entire nation paralyzed and yet he stands up one more time and he leads now i want you to think about how important that is who was he following moses now it's one thing if you follow somebody that's not really sharp really i mean that's not a bad every minister will tell you if they're 
they get away from being overly spiritual and they're moving to a new position. Would you, would you rather follow a minister that was really sharp or you want to follow a guy that not that sharp? Okay, if they're honest, they'll say, oh, I want to follow the guy that's really sharp. That's not a truth. That's a lie. Okay, you can't, like JT, I set it up for him. You know, I mean, that's, he, he, you know what I'm saying? What we want in life and what's hard is when God reaches out to you and he says, I need you to lead. I need you to be strong and courageous. And you know what's scary? Sometimes when we lead and we follow someone else, we fail. We see that in history. Anybody remember who followed Abraham Lincoln? Remember him? His name was Andrew Johnson. Johnson was a heavy drinker. He totally misunderstood Lincoln's vision, and he escaped impeachment by one vote. Babe Dolan. Babe Dolan is the guy that took over first base for Lou Gehrig. How'd you like to do that? He was falsely accused of drugs. He spent his entire life clearing his name. But then there's other stories of leadership that should inspire us. One of them that I read recently that I, I couldn't believe was Walt Disney was having lunch, and they were having a huge luncheon for donors, potential donors and givers. And he's laying out his vision. Lunch is over, and a guy puts his hand on Walt Disney's shoulder, and he said, Walt, what happens sometime today if, if you would cross the street and get hit by a truck? I want to know if before I invest all this money, what would happen to Disney? Now, Walt Disney didn't even hesitate. He said, here's the vision. You need to understand, absolutely nothing. My brother Roy runs the company. He just lets me piddle around. Now, here's what's interesting. The guy that put his hand on his shoulder didn't realize Disney was dying of cancer, that within weeks he would go, and that Roy Disney, who was going to retire, stepped back in. You know, the very first thing he did when he gathered those same group of financiers together, I am following my brother, Walt Disney, and we're going to keep his vision alive. End of story. That's leadership. And here's what happens so many times, I can tell you, in ministry over the years, is you can't survive unless people within a congregation, volunteers and others, step up and lead. That's just the fact. You, you can't survive if all of you don't decide God is going to move you to lead. And so I'm going to tell you, here's the three excuses over, over 30 years. That's why I'm, I really am starting to feel old. I've been in full-time ministry over 30 years. Here's the three resounding excuses I hear all the time about why I can't lead. Excuse number one, I'm an introvert. I mean, leadership is for the, the extroverts. Those are the out front people. And yet we know that absolutely is not true. God doesn't gauge leadership by personality traits. Matter of fact, some of the greatest leaders of all time were actually introverts. There's an amazing book I want to encourage you to read. It's called Quiet and the Power, the Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop talking by Susan Cain. And Susan Cain has done extensive study and says somewhere between 33 and closer to 50% of all those that are surveyed are true introverts. So listen to the Introvert Hall of Fame. Albert Einstein, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates, Rosa Parks, Warren Buffett, Lady Gaga, first service, did not get that one, Johnny Carson, Jay-Z, Okay, And here's what she said, and I love this. Don't underestimate me because I'm quiet. 
I know more than I say, I think more than I speak, and I observe more than you know. Some of you right now, God is laying something on your heart, and you may think, you know what, I'm, I'm not the person that wants to be up front. It doesn't matter. Leadership is influence, period. It's not about a personality trait. It's simply saying, God, I'm yours. Lead me. If it's okay with you, I'd like to brag on somebody that is an introvert, okay? My wife, Marie, if she was tested out, uh, first of all, her sanity for marrying me, not high, but you know what she would test out? She'd be tested out as an introvert. At Sherwood Oaks, she's the director of our preschool. Marie has dedicated uh, nearly 10 years to this preschool. We have 185 students, a staff of over 30, and I'm not just saying this because Marie's my wife. If I were to look at all the leadership teams in our church, there is, there's not a team that is better than that preschool team, making such a dramatic impact with those kids. Now, does Marie want to grab the microphone and be up front all the time? No. Does she lead by influencing? Absolutely. And you can too. All of you can lead. It doesn't matter if you're outgoing or you're an introvert. God can use you. The second excuse is I have baggage. Over the years, I can't tell you how many people said, John, if you only knew some of the mistakes I've made, and if you only knew my history, I mean, you really think God can use me with my story? Absolutely. That's what I love about the Bible. You read one broken life after another that God reaches in, pulls up, and says, I have a place for you, and through your brokenness, you can do amazing things. Because leadership is influence. It's interesting uh, when you think about leadership and influence and brokenness, there's a church out that I would love for you guys to research sometimes called Flatirons. It's in Lafayette, Colorado. This church has just exploded in the last 10 to 15 years. When they started, the minister, Jim Bergen, said, I'm going to target all the people that are broken, that have given up on themselves, and in essence have given up on God restoring them, and I'm going to change the whole culture with two words. You ready for this? If you're taking notes, two words. Me too. And I watched them uh, one evening. I was, I was watching a video of their communion service. And they had all these folks come up. And I remember they had a brick. And they'd hold the brick up and the camera would catch it. And they would say like sexual addiction. And then they'd flip it over. I'm in a support group. And then they laid it down. Another guy comes up. Just went through a divorce. Getting help. Another group comes up. Just lost my job. Church is helping me find another one. And this went on. This went on for 10 minutes. I kept thinking, what are they doing? Finally, the camera spans around, and they're building an altar. And when they finished the altar, all of the elders came up, and they put all the communion emblems on that altar, and they began serving communion to the entire body. And I thought, that's it. That's the church. Everybody in this room, you're broken. I'm broken. Me too. Sometimes my family screws up. Yours? Yeah, me too. Sometimes I hate my job. Sometimes I don't like this. And Christians, of all people, they need to be honest with one another. Doesn't it drive you crazy sometimes how Christians put this cheesy, like, act on, like, oh, you know, how are you doing? Oh, praise God. So good. You're, you're such a liar. I mean, come on. Life isn't always good. And it's okay to say, you know what, I'm really battling right now. And let God take that baggage and do something with it. And the third excuse is, and this is the hardest one, Man, I am just not 100%. Here's the hardest part of leading. At times, all 
leaders must play hurt. Would you agree with that? It's not an option. Some of you right now, you're playing hurt. I guarantee it. You're here, but it's hard. You're leading, and it's hard. How many moms and grandmothers do we have here? Would you raise your hand? Okay, I'm going to make some folks angry, so that's okay. Do you know who has the lion's share of playing hurt? Moms, grandmas. You know how they multitask and they just keep plugging through? And I know guys are like, oh, no, no, we're better. I don't think so. No, I grew up with a mom and a sister. I, I've watched Marie. I, I've been around, and I'm just telling you, they play hurt. And we can learn a lot from one another, from those who play hurt. Matter of fact, it's interesting. I have a movie that I absolutely love, and I'd like to share a quote from it. It's called I Bought a Zoo. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. What if the Israelites, way back 40 years, when they had the first opportunity to go in the promised land, had just had 20 seconds of insane courage? What do you need 20 seconds of insane courage for this morning? I mean, seriously, deep down, what is it you need courage for? And then Joshua, one last time in Joshua 24, stands in front of the entire assembly. Now 40 years have passed. He has led the Israelites into the promised land. And one more time he draws the line. One more time he makes a commitment. And starting in verse 14, says this. Now fear the Lord, serve him with all your faithfulness, Throw away the gods of your ancestors that they worship beyond the Euphrates River and Egypt and serve the Lord. Now let me drop down to the last part of verse 15 and let's say this together. You've got it memorized. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Just let that sink in. Of all the priorities, he didn't give us credentials. He didn't say all the great things he had done. He said, here's the decision I make today. It's for my family. We will serve the Lord no matter what. We are committed to serving God. One of my responsibilities at Sherwood Oaks, and it's a huge one, uh, I work with our multi-site campus on the west side, and we're really trying to reach folks far from God, trying to find their way back to God. And it, it, it honestly, it's, it's been one of the highlights of my life. But the other thing I, I do is I work with our men's ministry trying to get as many men connected in smaller groups of men, discipling men. Uh, Just just watching, honestly, to watch Josh and to be part of JT and to see how God is using them. I mean, that's what keeps any minister going. But I got to tell you, one of the hardest things is to convince men how important it is to show up. So for every man here today, let me personally thank you because you showed up. There's a hundred things you could have done today, but you showed up. And we need to know that there's a world that is falling apart. And we can look at our own country, and everybody's like, if we could just have this political solution. If we'd have, no, no, no. You want a solution? Here it is. I would challenge every man, step up and start showing up. Take your spiritual responsibility seriously. You want to change your family? Show up. Be the leader that God has called you to be. And let me tell you, the data does not lie. We read time and time again 
the impact of men who decided to just walk and not take responsibility. 90% of all the homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. And in the most uh, vicious, most maximum security uh, system in the entire nation, Fulton County, Georgia, 85% of all of those young men, and those men, do you know one common denominator? There was no dad in the home. It's time for dads to show up. That's how you change a town, and that's how you change a nation. It's the way God has built us to be. Show up. I'm so thankful when I think about what we have experienced at Mount Pulaski as a family. Uh, I mean, I just, again, was flooded with memories of, I know this sounds crazy, but Minister Appreciation Month and how you took care of us. I think of Christmas and our kids used to love to run to my office and the, my desk would be full of presents and most of those are for the kids and they just thought that was the best thing. I just think of how many precious memories I have. I see this Life Center and you're reaching out into the community and it's all about just believing in one another, believing in our kids and showing up. Rory McElroy, you may remember this. Interestingly enough, when he was 15 years old, his dad knew he was pretty good. And in Europe, they have this betting service where you can make long-range bets. So he went in and he laid down $341, 500 to 1 odds. Here was his bet. My son will win the British Open before he's 26 years old. They gladly accepted that money. And then on July 20th, 2014, Rory McIlroy won the British Open. He was 25. That night, his dad received a check for $171,000. You know why that happened? Because there was a dad who believed in his son. And that's what we need. Dads that believe in their kids. And if you're a kid here and you don't have a dad, for all the men here, you look out for those kids. You do whatever it takes to help those kids. If I hadn't had those kind of guys in the church that I grew up, do you think I'd be here today? No way. There were men who stepped up Keep stepping up. I just want to close with um, my greatest memory at Mount Pulaski. Uh, and it, it, was, it was hard because I was going through all these things, but I know the date. It was September 13th, 2001. Uh, some of you may remember this. It was kind of a weird thing that we did. Uh, I, not all my ideas are good, but this one was interesting. Uh, we had the fall festival. And so I brokered a deal with the beer tent. And so Saturday night, they shut down. And then Sunday, we had a revival on the square right here in the middle of town. And we did it two years in a row. Well, 2001, 9-11, and all of us, our hearts, our minds, our lives were just completely turned upside down. And I remember I got up that Wednesday morning, and I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I mean, these are desperate times. We're in the midst of this revival. Do we just close it down? Do we just have a night of prayer? I don't know. And also, I just felt like God said, you know, you need to, first of all, bring all the people who protect Mount Pulaski together, all the policemen, all the firemen, just go to City Hall, see what you can do, and on the last night of the revival, just see if any of them will show up. Well, that Thursday night, 
uh, George Ross uh, preached a sermon on the hope that we have in heaven. And remember, we rearranged the chairs because of all the people who came in. And then we turned all the lights off, handed everybody a candle, and we did this candlelight service, and we started singing Amazing Grace. And I started looking around, and I could see these guys in full uniform, these women in full uniform, and it just hit me. As desperate as times are, the hope never changes. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ never changes. Bill Hoggle said that the local church is the hope of the world. I hope you believe that with all your heart because it still reigns true today. And in a little tent in central Illinois, when the world was turned upside down, I just lifted up a prayer of thanks. God, I wouldn't want to be any place on earth than here right now because this is the hope of the world. Let's pray. God, we come here this morning and we cannot, we just cannot thank you enough for loving us so much that you've given us these examples throughout life that inspire us. I thank you for Joshua. When the odds were against him, he just stepped up. When he was called to lead in an incredibly difficult situation, he stepped up. And when it came down to the very end of his life, he stepped up for his family. Lord, help us to be like Joshua. Help us to be like your son. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.